The reward of the young scientist is the emotional thrill of being the first person in the history of the world to see something or understand something. Nothing can compare with that experience. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby. Cecilia. Penka Bushkin. I'm glad you said that. That's a hard one to pronounce. So, yes, this was when she was accepting the ironic Henry Norris Russell Prize, and you'll see why it's ironic later. Okay. From the American Astronomical Society in 1977, and she spoke of her lifelong passion for research. Absolutely incredible. Cecilia Helena Payne Kaposchkin, who was born on this very day, May the 10th. 1900. I just love that. But yeah, so the second half of that is the reward of the old scientist is the sense of having seen a vague sketch grow into a masterly landscape. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, do you want to hear a bit about her? Yes, please. Where do we start? Well, she's she's actually born in Britain. Oh, she's British born. Okay. Uh, she moved to uh, America because she... She went to Cambridge and uh, they wouldn't give her a degree because they didn't hand out degrees then to women. So I don't think they handed out degrees until something like 1948 oh, or something like that. Gross, isn't it? She decided that she was going to go to America. Oh, I don't blame her. Luckily, Shapley himself took her under his wing while he was directing the Harvard College Observatory. Oh, is that true? And he persuaded her to write a PhD thesis, which is an amazing seminal piece of work. Wow. The first person to point out that the sun was mainly made of hydrogen and helium. Can we put that up on our blog, please? We should put a little picture of her. Well, we absolutely should. But but the controversy and the sexism doesn't stop there. Oh, for Unfortunately, when her paper was uh, reviewed by Henry Norris Russell, no relation in this. I, I'll only claim him when, when, when he's glory. <laughs> right. This is why I'm saying it was uh, ironic that she should get the Henry Norris Russell Prize. He basically said, no, no, you really shouldn't publish this because it contradicts the current scientific consensus that the sun and the earth are made of similar materials. So this is in 1925. They thought that what? the sun was made was just basically a very, very hot planet like Earth. Mm. And so she described the work as spurious only, only for a little bit later for Otto Struve to describe it as the most brilliant PhD thesis ever written in astronomy. And uh, then Russell himself realised that she was correct and... um, he der- after he, he kind of a few years later derived the same results and went, oops, she was correct after all. Yeah. Don't- well, I hope he bloody apologised. So, yes. uh, I think he did. I think he ate a little bit of humble pie. And uh, annoyingly, he still sometimes gets the recognition for it, for, for her work. Well, I think I'm going to make it <laughs> so, my life's work to change that. She became the first doctor of astronomy uh, from that uh, Radcliffe College, okay. which is now part of Harvard University. Yes. But it wasn't at the time. It was kind of like a female wing of Harvard University. So lots and lots of really amazing female scientists came from that particular period because, A, she was such a trailblazer, but also there was a kind of movement, and Shapley was part of it as well, mm. of trying to get women into into science. 
So that was kind of like, she's a massive inspiration to a whole bunch of female scientists just after her. She taught Frank Drake of Drake Equation fame amongst many others. Oh, nice. So she's an absolute legend. Complete ledge. And if you wonder why she's got a Russian uh, surname, it's because in 1931 she became an American citizen and then when she was travelling in Europe, she met astrophysicist Sergei Gaposchkin in Germany and married him and took his name. Well, I think he's a lucky chap. And I'll tell you what, Matt, if I was wearing a cap... Mm -hmm. I would doff it. Absolutely. So if you're ever talking about variable stars, stellar composition, galactic structure, stellar evolution, then don't forget that it was Cecilia that was the trailblazing legend. Cecilia, you're blazing a trail. There you go. Boom. Wow, incredible stuff. So, Jamie, I've been working on uh, backronyms. It's about time you did some bloody work. Hit me. So all our, you know, like our space science of the week and space word of the week, and we were sort of struggling. Yeah. I realised that space word of the week, for example, could be S-wow. Okay. Yeah? So do you want to know what the <laughs> S-sow is this week? I'm out. <laughs> shall, we just, shall we just stop the podcast? Nah, it's okay. Let's do it. So, yes, yeah, space science of the week, Jamie. We, got, we haven't got a, de a guest, so we've got plenty of time. So I thought what would be really cool is to uh, talk about orbits. Let's do it. We've talked about orbits quite a few times, but I thought, well, let's let's just go over some basics. And then I realised, actually, there's quite a lot of basics and there's lots and lots of terms that we keep talking about. I think this is good because it will also bring any new listeners up to speed with our, you know, various orbital ramblings. The first thing, with orbits, it depends what you're orbiting around and there's a, a special name for orbiting around different bodies. Okay. Well, he here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read out the the, the body, and then you're yeah. going to tell me a bit about the orbital name. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, first up, I mean, why not start with our home, uh, Earth? The Earth. So, yeah, easy, this one. Geocentric. And, of course, everyone until um, Galileo thought that the solar system was geocentric. It's very true. I'm going to read out one, and you've got to guess which planet it is. Oh, go on, then. Uranocentric. All right, I don't want any jokes, but I'm going with Uranus. Exactly right. Oh, get in. What about Poseidocentric? Oh, I know that that's Neptune. Yes. What about Heliocentric? The sun? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, I, I quite like this one, Afrodeocentric. Ooh, that's got to be Mercury. Yes. All right, Matt, I'll hit you with one, and it's definitely my favourite, Chronocentric. Ooh, Saturn. Yeah. Because, you see, it's like Greek and Roman gods, isn't it? It's just basically the different names. See, I'd, see, I didn't really, I'd never really heard this one before, but Areocentric. I actually hadn't, for no. Mars. No. Got to admit. Matt, talking of arrows, what 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 what's your favourite flavour arrow? Normal, mint, or orange? Uh, mint, but yes, it's not arrow. It's ari ario. Ario. So it's more <laughs> so, so it's more like it's more like the biscuits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which which is orbiting the chocolate bar? Is it the bubbles or the wrapper or more chocolate? We, we need to work that out. Mm. Which just goes to show all chocolates are named after celestial bodies like Mars, much and Milky is. Way, etc., yeah. etc. 
Yeah, very true. So yeah, so so that's it. So you so it depends what body it is. You get a name of a of an orbit. So geocentric going around the Earth. But here's another one. So different names of orbits due to their altitude. Okay, we're getting a bit more tricky now. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. So we all know about low Earth orbit or LEO. Yeah. What do you think the sort of range is for the altitude of a low Earth orbit? Uh, I remember this from a, f- a couple of podcasts ago. I think. I mean, the space station is in low Earth orbit, and mm. I think it's anywhere between 100 and, is it 1,200 miles? It is about that, yeah. It is about that. 1,240 miles would be... Oh, it's like, 40 out. Would, like be a, it would be your super upper limit of it. Okay. It's because you uh, hit this medium Earth orbit. So what do you think happens at 12,600 miles high? Uh, oh, I don't know. Tell me. Geosynchronous orbit and geostationary orbits happen at 22,236 miles. Ah. And this 12,600, it's going half the speed of the rotation of the Earth. So geosynchronous matches the Earth's rotational period. Geosynchronous orbit just means that it's moving at the same at the same speed as the uh, as the Earth's rotation. But it's only geostationary if if it's going around the equator and yes. uh, it's fixed over a single point, geosynchronous. If it's a, an inclined level, then it's going to be moving about a bit. Okay, what about a high Earth orbit then? And we're talking anything over twenty two thousand miles, twenty two two forty. Yeah, so anything anything over the Clark orbit or geostationary orbit will is is yeah considered high Earth orbit, and so that's things like your graveyard orbit. So your geostationary satellites, when when they've had their day, they're supposed to not burn up in the atmosphere because they're so far out they can't do that. So they're supposed to put themselves into a slightly higher graveyard orbit, for example. Well, that's pretty heavy metal. I mean, if Ozzy Osbourne was in orbit, he'd definitely be in high Earth orbit. Oh yeah, big time. So yeah, that that so we've now so we've done what you're orbiting and how high up you're orbiting, but most of these obviously we're not considering how much they're tilted. So obviously right. the world is spinning around an axis. So imagine like a pole that's going through the Earth and it's and it's spinning around that pole. Now mm. you could have a non-inclined orbit that would be just going round the equator. If you tilt it, so like if you're spinning a dinner, you know, if you like spinning a dinner plate, imagine that as yeah. your orbit, and and, and then yeah. if you if you tilt it, that starts to become inclined, and it, obviously you have an angle of inclination. But the moment it becomes like inclined by ninety degrees, i.e., the, the the plate has now gone vertical, you hit your polar orbits. So mm. your polar orbit is going over the poles and under the south pole instead of around the equator. Okay. Yeah, so that's one of your inclined orbits. And there's a special type of polar orbit, which is slightly off, called the sun-synchronous orbit. So that Ah, yes, I remember this one. Yeah, so that passes over the equator at the same time, local time. We'll talk about that a little bit later on because it's really clever how, they, how it actually does it. It sounds reliable. Yeah, so that you start to get these synchronous orbits, like, like geosynchronous is going around at the same... Uh, spin as the Earth, so you stay over one place if it's geostationary, and then you get your sun synchronous one. But there's other synchronous there's other synchronous orbits like 
the really cool ones that we talked about on podcast 36. How long ago does that sound? Oh, it's a classic. It's almost 100 episodes ago. People still talk about that episode. And by people, I mean my mum. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. I think she was the only person listening back then. Oh, she loves an orbit, mate. (laughs) We talked about Tundra Orbit. Yeah, we did. Yeah, way back in podcast 36, uh, Soyuz had just successfully launched EKS-2. An early right. warning satellite. I think it's the, one of the the EKS series are the only satellites that use this weird tundra orbit. So it's a synchronous orbit, but it's highly elliptical, and it's got a massive inclination. So it's 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 like a big oval where it gets very close to the Earth and then goes very far out. And it absolute, but but its orbital period is exactly one sidereal day. And if you remember, a sidereal day isn't quite like our day. It's a little bit shorter because it's in reference to the stars rather than to the sun. Because obviously the Earth's rotating around the sun at the same time as spinning around its axis. I think that's why I'm a little bit shorter. You're in reference to the stars rather than the sun. I'm basically in reference to the stars. Yeah, I'll take that one. Good. And a bit like the tundra orbit is the Molnir orbit. Ooh, what's that? Which is a semi-synchronous variation of the tundra, where it's only doing it every 12 hours rather than 24 hours. Weird 63.4 degrees. Uh, yeah, and you can, you, can have, you can have all those synchronous orbits on, on Mars as well, like areosynchronous orbit or ASO or areostationary orbit. I love stuff on Mars. You know that. Yeah. I know. I'll tell you so what, Matt. In this episode, you're bloody turning my pages. Turning your pages is that your new? <laughs> is that your new? Uh, is that your new thing? I'm tr- I'm trying it out because you rev my engines isn't working with anyone. <laughs> you're grinding my gears. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah, that is a great one. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh. Uh, um, the sun synchronous one, right? This is hmm. this is really good. So imagine the the one thing that I haven't talked about is is orbits that go prograde or retrograde. Do you know what that means? Because there'll be a lot of oh. Kerbal Space programmers that know this, but what do you oh, think? Remind me. So a prograde means that it's going in the it's it's going in the same orbit as the Earth is spinning. Right mm. now, virtually all satellites are prograde because. It makes sense because when you launch from Earth, you actually want the spin of the Earth to actually get you some a bit of speed so that you get get into an orbit with a right. lot less energy, right? But there are a few people that launch retrograde, like Israel apparently, because they can't really launch prograde because it goes over all their enemies and they don't want to annoy them with rocket uh, casings okay. and stuff. So right. they, sometimes, so they, I think. That, I don't know, but I think they're the only people that launch retrograde. But there are some orbits that event that go retrograde. So if you think about it, if you go ninety degrees and you've got a polar orbit and you're going over the over the Earth that way, if you go a little bit further, like ninety four degrees or whatever, you're actually in a a retrograde orbit because you're sort of actually at that point, the moment you start to go even further round incline even further around you're actually going against the the spin of the earth right mm. and sun synchronous orbits 
they're, they're going a little bit further round 98 degrees. And what's happening is it becomes sun synchronous because of the bulge of the Earth. So that because the because the Earth is bigger in the middle than mm. it is a uh, – it's not really quite a sphere. It's an oblate sph- spheroid, oh, as, oh, as well we you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I tell you what I am at the moment. I've been eating far too many chocolate biscuits. <laughs> so, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas again? It, it is. It's like well, it's, it's post Easter. Oh. I got popper into eating chocolate. Yeah. I can't get out of it now. It's so annoying. Oh, I tell you what, I'm with you. I'm with you because of this bulge in the Earth. It, it keeps making the the orbit of the satellite match the fact that we're rotating around the sun. Mm. So it's just this really clever way of keeping a, a, a satellite in sun-synchronous orbit. And the great thing about sun-synchronous is you can get it so that the satellite's solar panels are continually facing the sun, for example. But not uh, only that, if you're observing things on Earth, you want the same kind of lighting each time you go over it. Okay. But when you're in a sort of polar orbit, the, the, obviously the, the Earth is... Uh, rotating under you. So you maybe go over 16 times a, a day, you're orbiting, and the mm. Earth is going underneath you. And so you get to see 16 different cities, but you'll get to see them at the same time if you're in a sun-synchronous orbit. Oh, so that, I love that. Uh, so that your imaging is always kind of consistent. Okay. And what about geostationary or geosynchronous transfer orbit? Or as I say, uh, GTO. GTO, well, exactly. So this is an elliptical orbit where at the perigee, i.e. the lowest altitude that it's in, will be low Earth orbit, and the apogee that it's at will be at the orbit of our geostationary orbit, right? So it's an elliptical orbit, and Earth is kind of is obviously not in the centre. It's at one of the focal points of the ellipse. And, I'm trying um, really hard not to sing the perigee and apogee song. Perigee and <laughs> don't, don't do apogee. It. Don't do it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Live together oh. in simple harmonic motion <laughs> It's got a ring to it. Thanks. <laughs> sorry, Paul. Uh, you can get up to geostationary orbit by going into a geosynchronous transfer orbit or geostationary transfer orbit, GTO. And then when you get up to the right height, you just burn your motors and circularize your orbit so that you end up at the higher altitude. Well, I'm going to throw one at you. Have you heard of Walter Hohmann? Of course. Uh, well, you must know about the Hohmann transfer orbit then. Didn't we do that as Space Word of the Week once? Yeah, it was a rhetorical question, Matt. But, you know, for, for the listener, it's an <laughs> orbital do- manoeuver that moves a spacecraft mm-hmm. from one circular orbit to another using two engine impulses. And, of course, this manoeuvre was named after the great Walter Hohmann. You know that these are my favourite because it's the halo orbits or the Lisajou oh. orbits. Which we, Again, we've talked about these before. And that, Double these glory. Are, they are the double glory because they orbit around Lagrangian points. Oh, yes. keep talking. So, yes, they, they the Lagrangian points are weird kind of gravitational places in between two bodies. So Earth and the Sun have uh, uh, Lagrange points, and they've got various numbers, so L1, L2, L3, et cetera, et cetera. And they're really, really useful places to have to you can get into orbit bizarrely around these 
little gravitational places where, for example, the pull of the Earth is, is balanced out exactly by the pull of the sun. And so you have this one um, Lagrange point, and there's one exactly the other side of the planet as well. And things like the James Webb Telescope and, uh, and things like that, they end up in these Lagrange points because you can do things like stick um, uh, you can stick your satellite where it can always see the sun or where it's out of the way of the so it's where it's blocked by the earth or the moon so that it doesn't see the sun and things like that. The one that I think is absolutely genius is the P over 2 orbit, which is oh, a, a highly stable 2 to 1 lunar resonant orbit that's used by the TESS spacecraft, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. How do you like them orbits? One of the reasons why I wanted to do a little quick primer on orbits, Jamie. Okay. Tori Bruno this week mentioned mm. a thing called RAN steering or R-A-A-N steering. Okay. And I know that you know all about this because way back on podcast 87, right? Yeah. We talked about the orbital elements and I think space word of the week was true anomaly. Oh. There's these weird orbital elements. To know where exactly something is in orbit, you need to know its semi-major axis. Tick. Its eccentricity. Tick. Its inclination. Yeah. Its argument of periapsis. Standard. Its time Its time of periapsis passage. Uh-huh. And its longitude of ascending node. House! So the longitude of ascending node, get this, so that's measured against the equ- equatorial plane and the vernal equinox, or the first point of Arius. So imagine in the olden days, before Galileo, they thought that the sun was orbiting the Earth in the geocentric model, oh, pre yes. the heliocentric model. Yes. The, the sun kind of traces this sine wave across the sky, really. The orbit that you see is called the ecliptic. Agreed. So that's the way that everything seems to arc over in the sky, is this ecliptic so the ecliptic is not the same as the equator, but where the sun crosses this, um, uh, where the ecliptic and the equatorial plane cross uh, on the very first day of spring, where it's even day and even night, at that point is the vernal equinox. I love that. And that is where your right ascension is measured from. If your longitude of ascending node is being measured as part of that equatorial plane, then it's actually known as the right ascension of the ascending node, okay? Okay. Or RAN. Obviously, when you're launching satellites, it has a RAN, a right ascension of of an ascending node. Yes. And that will determine where it is in orbit. So that inclination is really, really hard to get out of. So when, when you launch you have these launch windows mm. so that uh, so if you're in a certain place like florida you you have a time of day where when you launch you will achieve a certain right ascension right yeah uh, an raan so when and obviously the international space station has a particular inclination and it's a it's quite a high inclination in actual fact because um, to make it easier for the russians to launch the, the International Space Station is a, 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 has a very inclined orbit, and so it's quite hard to do from Florida. But so 
each day you have one opportunity to launch to the International Space Station. Mm. Now, that window is about four minutes long or something like that. And so people like SpaceX, if, it, if they have to scrub, they have to wait until at least the next day, mm. right? But Tori Bruno was showing off because the Centaur upper stage and the Centaur upper stage has been around for absolutely ages now. And because it's been around for so long and it's been developed for the Atlas and the Titan and everything else, it's it's been around for a long time. It is a proper workhorse. Really it's is. had this... It's had, yeah, I mean, it was even going to be used on the space shuttle, been around for ages. It may even end up carrying humans. Who knows? But anyway, it's it's been around for a long time. And the software on board is able to do this RAN steering, R-A-A-N steering, which means that if you launch it a little bit late, it knows that it's been launched late and can actually correct for this uh, uh, right ascension of the ascending node. Wow. And can get you in the right place. So the launch window for Centaur is, uh, and for, for things like the Atlas is a lot better than a lot longer than the SpaceX launch window. God damn. Not that it, you ever need it that long. But yeah, you, you to actually chase down the space station, you've got to launch. As the space station is coming over you, you launch and then you chase it down and you're at the right, right ascension of the ascending node. You're at this right position to actually catch it up. Now, if you miss it, it takes loads of fuel to get you back to where you're supposed to be, like yeah. loads of fuel, sometimes as much fuel as it would take to launch in the first place so you've got to you've got to make sure that you're kind of on it you don't want to miss the one to mars certainly well actually i don't do you know what i don't think it's as ludicrous the launch windows to mars no. as in you've got to get the launch window at the right time of year and the and the right in the right year so you have like a 2018 launch window and a 2020 yeah. launch window etc but i don't think the launch windows are like minutes long unlike the launch windows to the International Space Station. Got it. They actually aim slightly off so that they so that the vehicle can check itself out and then shift into the right place to actually chase down the um, International Space Station. Which is weird because you check yourself out before you shift into place, don't you? And start chasing things down. As well you know. <laughs> I don't know how useful that uh, RAAN steering is and how often it's used, but... It's interesting, isn't it, that Centaur upper stage has that capability, whereas Dragon <clears throat> doesn't. So, Jamie, where have you been, and tell me all about it. I'm I'm currently in Berlin, and I'm working at um, a a music show at this place called Fez uh, F E Z. Uh, it's an amazing venue, and you won't believe where I'm based in in the centre map. Where are you based? I'm only in the space area. <sighs> I mean, it's an astronaut training area where they educate you on how astronauts are trained, obviously. Um, loads of mm -hmm. rockets and planet education. It is awesome. They have a thing called Space Club Berlin, uh, which is a, a meeting point organised uh, by young people for the benefit of young people uh, that takes place there um, in cooperation with the GAC, which is the German Aerospace Centre. They do international space camps. If you're interested and you want to go to Berlin from the 27th of July to the 3rd of August, loads of youth youth education, and I'm all for it. It is absolutely awesome. Ultra-modern, Matt, and loads of things to do and see and touch, and they've got replicas of the space station and uh, the space shuttle. Uh, they've even got a... 
uh, Yuri Gagarin head statue, which if you follow us on Instagram, uh, and if you don't, what are you playing at? Uh, you'll see a, a photo of me standing next to the great man. Very cool. I was quite jealous of that. Yeah, if you're in Berlin, check it out. Is there any reason why why it's there? Is what's 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 the connection? Uh, well, it's just a, the whole space is a is a a, a, a youth education centre, and part of that is is the space one. But but basically, yeah, the the German Aerospace Centre I think are heavily involved, um, and I'm all mm-hmm. for it. it. What was your what was your favourite exhibit? The planets. You know, I love a planet, so I was I was I was loving the planet bit, but. I was really upset, Matt, when I grabbed a member of staff, not literally, um, and I said, oh, where can I buy your T-shirt? Because they had these amazing Space Club Berlin T-shirts. And uh, they said that they don't sell them. They're only given to the youth that turn up. And I'm not the youth anymore, Matt. Not now I'm 40. Oh, my God. So there we go. So it's it's both a happy and a sad day. But, you know, That's, because well, I'm because I'm mindful, I'm looking on the bright side of life, Matt. Half glass full. What was your favourite, sorry, hardware synth? Oh, well, it has to be the Roland SEO2, analogue synth made in <laughs> conjunction with Studio Electronics. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, if you're into tonal shaping and advanced uh, sound, then you needn't yeah. look no further. Oh, nice. And I'm completely impartial, nice. so, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the fence. There's a few really quick news stories. Let's just do, do it. a quick rundown. So, yeah, Ariane Space has uh, ordered 14 Ariane 6 launches. Hell yeah. They're going to fly between 2021 and 2023. Nice. Along with the final batch of eight Ariane 5 launches, one of which includes the James Webb launch, presumably. God, don't get me excited, Matt. This has happened before. Excited and stressed. Yeah. I'm stressed (laughs) for them. It's going to be quite exciting. The first launch of the uh, of Ariane six faux shizzle, and not only ass. that, of course, Ariane six four, the one with the four solid rocket boosters, uh, should be able to transport up to eight point five tons to lunar orbit. So that's going to be a, a, a interesting to see if they use that particular capability. That's going to cost a lot to get that much up, isn't it? Hmm. Hmm. Now, here's a story that I, I spotted that I thought was quite cool. Uh, NASA have funded a, a 3D printing company called uh, Copper 3D from Chile. Uh-huh. And um, they make a material called Plactive. It's got nanoparticles in it, copper nanoparticles, that mean that it destroys 99% of fungus, viruses, and bacteria. Wow. Now, the reason why that's really cool is that you could you can 3D print like medical bits of equipment and things that you need on the international space station so instead of like very cool or if you had to you know if you're on a long duration mission and and someone's injured themselves and you think right we need to print a splint or something like that or a you know something you you can actually print it off and of course while it's printing it's it's sterilized and it also remains sterilized because the plastic itself is kind of this um antibacterial plastic that's very clever. So it's really, and, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. The other big one, of course, is Jeff Bezos announcing Project Kuiper. So okay. the satellite constellation, I just, I think that this really is the the year of satellite constellations for internet constellations. It is. So you've got Jeff Bezos with Project Kuiper. Musk is about to probably this month launch 
dozens of his Starlink satellites. Mm. OneWeber also starting to launch their constellation. But the thing about it, it's going to cost billions, Jamie. This is going to cost absolutely billions. And so someone somewhere is going to get completely stung because yeah. <laughs> the revenue is going to come in really slowly. It's because I've got, I've got internet and I've got 5G. I'm not quite sure I'm going to pay for like a ludicrously expensive, not much better internet coverage. Yeah. And if you don't have internet coverage, it's probably because you're quite poor, which means how, how are you going right. to generate money that this way? This is the thing. I mean, with 4G and soon to be 5G in certain places, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can pretty much get data anywhere, but they need to make it. They need to make it free. Who's going to pay for free internet? That's what they need. The customers I can see are things like people on boats. Imagine being on a cruise somewhere and being able to access the internet properly and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Or, Chuck or out on your dongle. Uh, I think your planes as well. Um, well, yeah. they've already got internet on planes. But talking about, I mean, uh, <laughs> Elon Musk was being absolutely ludicrous calling Jeff Bezos a copycat and stuff like that on Twitter. <laughs> it was a bit weird. Um but they've had, but they've not only did their uh, their crew dragon blow up, um, but apparently it's been it it, it failed its pas- parachute test anyway. So last month it, it failed a parachute test. Oh, so uh, yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare. And in the meantime, NASA have had to buy two more seats on the Soyuz. Boeing and SpaceX just aren't ready. Oh, that's not good, is it? It really isn't. And the and not only is not good, the farce of the moon soon carries on. The new budget for 2024 that was promised a month ago is still weeks away, even though, you know, I think that's a bit of a wind-up. I can't wait for it to come out, that budget to come out. It's going to be ludicrous, surely. It's it's definitely – we should have a whole podcast on that when it comes out. Oh, no, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pick that one up for sure. What's happening with the Space Force? War in space, Jamie, is I think is becoming more and more of a thing. Okay. The Times managed to get hold of Whitehall's first space defence strategy review. Oof. So this is the British. Basically, they're, they're saying that, yes, our, our satellites and our technology is, is under ext- like really major threats, and they, they kind of put 10 major threats. Now, because we can't see this leaked document, I don't know what they are, but there's things like laser dazzling where their satellites are ruined uh, or temporarily knocked out by optical attack. Then you've got cyber attack where people hack into your satellite and disable it that way mm. or directed energy weapons, oh, God. lasers and masers and stuff that, that basically fry your satellite. And you've got your full-on orbital attack where you, they either fire a missile at your satellite or they have a killer satellite out in space that basically smashes into your satellite and and gets Or what about launching a satellite that can launch weapons back on Earth? I mean, well, as yeah, in fire not... weapons on Earth. God, imagine that. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good either. So, yeah, Ooh. so it, it's saying that we need to spend lots and lots of money on space defence. And, and start think really taking it seriously. So they're increasing the workforce to 600 people now in this country working space defence. Uh, and they want it to get bigger and bigger as well. So it's no like, doubt. wow. Yeah. 
So yeah, and 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 they want to, and they're right, really enthusiastic that Britain should have its own GPS system. Now we've been kicked out of Galileo. Well, totally, well, it happens. It'd be really interesting to see the document, but uh, the MOD said that they didn't want to talk about something that had been leaked. So, uh, and not only that, that the person that wrote it is that Gavin Williamson who got who got sacked. <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> defense, <laughs> defense secretary. So it's all a massive mess in, in British politics at the moment. Well, I'll tell you what's not a massive mess. Um, on a positive mm-hmm. note, Matt, guess who has been named the 2019 mm-hmm. recipient of the NSS, which is the National Space Society, Space Pioneer Award for Historic Space Achievement? Guess who? Uh, any clues? Okay, the clue is we have interviewed this person and they have, they have flown into space. That's all I'm saying. Flown into space? Oh, well, that doesn't narrow it down too much. Um... <laughs> all right, if I said to you vodka and spaghetti, who would you say? Uh, it's, it's Al Warden. Absolute. One of our, I mean, first astronaut that we ever interviewed. We were beyond excited, and I still think it might be up there as one of my favourite ever. Incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, he he's the only person we've interviewed that's been to the moon. <laughs> been to the moon. He's orbited but, our moon. Tick. Apollo, Apollo 15. Incredible. Well done. Incredible well done, man. Our what an achievement. And, uh, I, and what, I, yeah, very funny I think, guy. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And I think uh, that is in the bag. Jamie. Yeah. This has been a stupidly long podcast. Let's just yeah. let the spodcats go um we love you uh, have a great weekend and just keep safe yeah but remember to look up bye bye spodcats see you bye bye bye